In Psalms 146, verse 5, it says, Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Happy, that word is makario, supremely blessed, are he is whose God is in the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord. Everybody wants to be happy. So few people are. Today, we're going to choose it because of the Word of God. Father, thank you today for your Word. It's a lamp and it's a light. We're trusting you for your promises. They are sure and they are yes and they are amen. That's why we're declaring the good news of the hope of the Lord because it lives inside of us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Would you give the Lord one more hand clap before you sit down this morning? Thank you. You can be seated. Again, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, worship team. I also just want to uh, echo what Jennifer said. Thank you for that wonderful uh, uh, video and, and everything. Who would have thought in three and a half months that Lord's Gym City Center would have 2,300 members in three and a half months? 1,200, almost 1,300 of them are students of, teenager, uh, of teenagers. And so we're just honored to uh, be a part of that m a miracle of God. It's really a miracle of the Lord. Uh, I also, too, I want to encourage all of us to get involved in these connect groups. They're on the back of the bulletin. Just show up. We want to connect you because there's a lot of things that uh, would build your uh, faith up. And one of them is your family of God, your neighbor, your family, your people of faith. You need to connect with one another. They're very important. So I encourage you to look on the back of that bulletin and uh, join us there uh, throughout the week. We have something. I want to think about something today because I believe that in this thing called life, we choose what we become. Do you know the most common question that I get asked is, where can I go to find lasting happiness? Where can I go to find true and lasting happiness? Do you know this is an agonizing question that has trembled out of the mouth of men and women living in the broken hell of a marriage that has been separated or suffering through a bitter divorce? It's the question that has enslaved people of alcohol addiction or drug addiction. It's the question that those have asked that have been abused by a loved one that was supposed to take care of them. It's a question that has been asked by a son who has been rejected by a father or a daughter who has been rejected by a mother. The question that has been asked out of those going through deep depression, depression that would follow them like a black dog, robbing them of lasting happiness. The question out of men and women who have went through business failure, one failure after another, are those who have experienced a sudden and tragic loss of a loved one, like lightning out of a blue sky. Now they're without their dearest loved one on this earth. Where can I go and what can I do to be truly happy? There's no greater achievement than all of life, I believe, than finding lasting happiness. I want you to know that because we ask the question, what is happiness? And I would answer it, happiness is the fragrant of an obedient life. It's true. It's the fragrant of an obedient life. Do you know Jesus was in the happiness business? He ordained it by performing his first miracle at the wedding feast of Canaan when he turned the water into wine. A celebration of happiness, a celebration of joy, a celebration of life. What's interesting, in the Old Testament, when Moses came on the scene, the great lawgiver, he turned the water into what? 
blood. The first miracle, one of them that Moses did, was turn the water into blood, representing judgment. Jesus comes on the scene, and the first miracle he shows is turning the water into wine. Joy, happiness, and life. And the fact is, as a believer, we should express that joy. We should express that happiness. We should express that life. Even if we have to notify our face about being happy, we need to do that each and every day. We need to express that joy and that happiness, even though sometimes we may not feel like it in the natural. It was Christ who gave us three cheers. Be of good cheer, I've overcame the world. Be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven. Be of good cheer, it is I do not be afraid. It was the Apostle Paul who told us, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You have to do it by choice. You have to make a decision to rejoice in the Lord by a choice that we make. I'll never forget the time when uh, I gave my life to Christ as a young man. I was 22 and I wasn't raised in a good environment. And as a result of not being raised in a good environment, I never went to the Dennis, we never have a stable home, so I was on my own since I was 11. And so being on your own uh, as a child, you don't get the benefits of being raised in a home where maybe you go to the doctor or they take you to the dentist. So I had a lot of uh, dental issues as a child. And as a result of that, and because of a, a difficult upbringing, I would never smile. One reason I wouldn't smile is because I, I didn't I, I didn't have the joy in my heart. I, I was bitter and pain-filled, and I wasn't hard. I was scarred because of life. But there was another reason that I wouldn't show any emotion. It's because I had some messed up teeth. My teeth were messed up. So when I gave my life to the Lord, uh, I, I came into uh, you know different places I would travel. And I'll never forget a gentleman in Southern California. He came to me after a service one day and he says, Joey, I want to help you out. He says, I'm an orthodontist and I'd like to, I'd like to fix your teeth. And I'll never forget as a young man, he took me into his dental chair and he's older and now he's went to be with the Lord, but he looked at me and he's looking at my teeth and they did extensive work. I mean, I had uh, 15 cavities at one time. I mean, just really my teeth were not straight and I'll never forget what he told me, this man that I had just recently met. He said, Joey, you're a good looking guy and you, you're filled with love, but you need to smile. And he says, I'm going to help you do that. And you know what that man did? He spent time and effort and resources. Uh, he told me I was the most expensive patient he's ever had because he paid for it. Over $30,000 worth of dental procedures to get this. But I had to learn the lesson before I can ever do this, I had to get this. It had to be inside of me because happiness is an inside story. It has to begin inside of us. It's never our positions that make us happy. It's our dispositions that make us happy. The apostle Paul was happier singing in the jail at Philippi in the midnight hour than many people that go to church on Sunday morning. So it's not where we are that makes us happy, but it's what we are that makes us happy. That's why I believe that real happiness can come when when we flip the script and we stop worrying about all the trouble that we have and we change the focus and thank God for the trouble we don't have. 
because we have to learn to change what we, what we focus on. What we don't have, we're not to look upon. But what we do have, the good things of God, the joy of the Lord, that's our strength. God's promises. We have to focus on what God says instead of our circumstances. The explanation for the word happiness is interesting because it has the old English word hap and the Greek word makarios. Now catch this, because hap in the old English is, means gives, it gives chance to the word, or excuse me, it gives birth to the word chance or happenstance. Are you with me this morning? The meaning is that happiness in the secular sense depends on what happens to you. And if you are captured in that essence of happiness, what happens to you, then you're never really going to be happy because you can't control what happens to you. You can't control a health crisis most of the time. You can't control separation when it comes in an unexpected way. You can't control what happens sometimes with your grown children or what happens at work. You can't control that. But the Greek word is makarios. Which means, be, which means to be supremely blessed by God in every area of our life, no matter what happens. That means when you're going through the greatest trials of your life, that God-given happiness can be there no matter what you're going through. In other words, it endures through the storms of life. It endures through the pain of a divorce. It endures through an issue with the health crisis with a child. It endures when you get ridiculed or criticized. God's happiness doesn't depend on what happens. It's there regardless of what happens. It really is. But you have to realize Happiness is not the abundance of things. It's not. The Bible says that life does not consist in the abundance of things. Why? Because there's a difference between making a good living and having a great life. There's a world of difference. I talked to a guy uh, years ago who was a professional athlete, and he was telling me how, and he wasn't a believer, and he was bragging about how he's going to buy this bed. And he was showing me the picture of this bed that he was going to buy, and he was Look, he says, look at this thing. And I said, well, how much does that bed cost? He said, this is $30,000 for this bed. I'm thinking, what does that bed do? He told me about this bed, and I, and I was able to tell him, but you know, you can buy the most expensive bed in the world, but only God can give you a restful night's sleep. You know, money can buy you a lot of things. Money can buy you a nice house, but only God can give you a home. Money can buy you a steak, and it could be Ruth Chris, baby, and be delicious. I never ate there, but birthday, hey. Money can buy you a steak, but only God can give you the appetite to enjoy that steak. Money can buy you lots of things, but you can't lose focus on the main thing because happiness is not found in the abundance of things and happiness is not found in an untroubled life. Many people say, well, I'll be happy when I don't have any more troubles anymore. I don't have any trials. Then you might as well go to the cemetery and just get in the grave. You're going to have trouble. Happiness is not living stress-free. The Bible says all who live godly. I know this is not on y'all's refrigerator, but the scriptures say all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It says, and I know you don't have this one on your refrigerator. This is a promise that we don't like to quote. The Bible says 
think it not strange the fiery trials that you're going through. Oh, sweet Jesus, as some strange thing has tried to happen up to you. In other words, you're going to go through these things. There's difficulty in life. The Christian life is not a stress-free life. It's not when you give your life to Christ. Now everything is easy and there's no trouble anymore. And now you grow hair and you get thin and you get buffed and, you know, you... You start having all, no, no, the Bible tells us you're going to go through stuff. King David wrote one of the most beautiful Psalms ever written in human history while living in a cave, running from a demonized madman named Saul because Samuel anointed him to be the next king of Israel. Daniel was a captive in Babylon, which is modern day Iraq. He was taken out of his family, away from his homeland, Israel. That will wipe the smile off your face. But listen to the New Testament's definition of how you can be happy. In 1 Peter 3, verse 14, it says, even if you suffer for righteousness sake, happy are you. That's not because of circumstances. That's makarios. That's in spite of. So happiness is not getting what we want. Do you ever notice that the more we get what we want, the less we want what we get? You ever notice that or I'm the only one? Reminds me of the story of the man who went to visit the insane asylum. And so he was going from floor to floor just to kind of see the, the, the building and see how they do their procedures. And one room he went to, he was there with the facilitator, and he says, well, what's this room? And he says, well, this is where new people come in, and we try to assess them and see what's going on with them. And he says, well, what's going on with this gentleman in that room? He says, well, he's in there. He came in last week, and he's rocking back and forth in a rocking chair, and all we can get out of him is Lulu, Lulu, Lulu. So we ask him, why does he keep saying that? Evidently, he was dating some girl named Lulu. She broke up with him, and now he's here, and that's all he does all day is rock back and forth in that chair. Lulu, Lulu, Lulu. The man says, well, okay. So they went up to the next floor. This was a padded floor, a padded cell. There was another man in that room. Eyes were bulging out. He was bouncing back and forth in that padded room, foaming at the mouth. He was screaming at the top of his voice, Lulu, Lulu, Lulu. The man said, what's wrong with that guy? The facilitator said, he married Lulu. Be careful what you wish for. God's dream for my life. Yeah, it might turn into a nightmare real fast. Isn't it amazing how when we're single, we can lower our standards when what we're wanting to go after? It starts off with, oh, I got to have a, for ladies, I got to have a man of God. I got to have a man with a job. I got to have a man with a call of God. And then it goes from, I got to have a man. I, I, think he, I think he's heard of God, as long as he's heard about God. At least I drive him in front of a restaurant and act like he's acting like he wants to work. See, it's a world of difference. It starts off good, but then you got to be careful because once you get that thing or get that man or get that woman, they gotta, they've got to really be what God wants, what's best for you. Anybody with me this morning? It's true. you got to be careful. That's why I believe you can be happy right now. But how happy really are you? And so here's the question. Is it unrealistic? Now think about this statement that I'm going to say. Is it unrealistic 
that we can expect to be happy most of the time? Since our lives are like constant struggle, one thing after another, is it possible to have deep-seated, continual happiness? Or do you and I need to live our lives with this kind of constant, ecstatic experience from one thing after another, sometimes happy, sometimes not? Or can we have lasting happiness? I believe without a shadow of a doubt, as sure as I'm standing here, you and I can have lasting, continual happiness based on the promises and the principles of the Word of God. It's true, but it demands action. Happiness demands action. If you want something you've never had, you've got to do something you've never done. And some of you just need to do something a little bit different. Some of you are new to the things of God, new to the church, and you're doing something different. That's good. You're planting yourself in the house of the Lord. Some of you need to get back to planting yourself stronger, making those commitments so you can have lasting happiness, not be so emotionally driven. Trial comes, crisis comes. Now you're back in the house of God. Take action. Get got to take authority over your life or something or someone will. If you don't take authority, trust me, something or someone will. Take action. It demands a change because if you change your attitude, you'll change your world. Then you will change the world. You've got to start with an attitude. Religion says this, change your behavior, change what you're doing. Religion will come and say, you change how you're living, change your uh, doing this and doing that. But it's not about right living. It's about right believing. You've got to believe right first so you can live right secondly. Because if you're told to live a certain way, if the ticker or or the thinker is bad, then your life is going to go that way. As a man or woman thinketh, so are they. You've got to change your stinking thinking. You've got to change it. The scriptures tell us whatever things are lovely, whatever things are honorable, whatever things are praiseworthy, whatever things of what? Good reports, not bad reports, not negative reports. I tell people all the time, they say, I got something to tell you like negative. I'm like, don't, uh-uh, Jack, don't give me the negative report. Give me the cliff notes, maybe. Don't tell me all the doom and gloom of it. Don't tell me a thousand and one ways why it won't work, why it can't happen. You tell me the good news. I've come to declare today to you the good news. Jesus is alive, he's well, and the best is yet to come. That's why happiness is found in this wonderful thing called hope. The Bible says, blessed is he, the God of Jacob, whose help is in the Lord, whose, whose help is in God, whose hope is in the Lord. The God of Jacob is his help, whose hope is in the Lord. The scriptures say in Psalms 42, verse 5, hope thou in God. Let's say it together. Hope thou in God. You know why? Because you can't give what you don't have. You've got to put your hope in what God does have. He's got abundance. He's got blessings. He's got miracles. He's got provision. He's got health. He's got strength. He's got anointing. He's got care. He's got protection. He has it all. So put your hope in the God who has it all. The Bible says in Romans 15, 13, may the God of all hope fill you with all joy that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What is that mean? That means you're so full of expectation. You're so full of the God's goodness that it just spills out over you and it splashes over everybody you get in contact with. What's coming out of you? Is the, is the good things of the Lord coming out of you? Are you just letting life and, and family and situations and health crisis just kind of beat you down? You're to have hope in the Lord. Why? Because God has a plan. 
He says, I've got plans for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and give you a wonderful future. It's found in hope when you put it in God. Do you know that Jesus is presented in the Bible as our blessed hope? That's what it says. The Bible calls Jesus the hope of what? Glory. The hope of glory. Because hope does something. It generates enthusiasm. Hope generates excitement. Hope produces joy. Joy that this world cannot give and the world cannot take away. Hope that will take, will help you sing in the midnight hour because it produces a song. When hope is there, a song will come. Do you know hope is faith putting its hand out in the dark with absolute confidence that the God that we serve will never fail us. The Bible says we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The first recorded miracle in the scripture, the promise of God, the first one in the Bible was a message of hope where the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. A word of hope from God the Father to all mankind. It's a word that Satan and his kingdom is defeated. That when Christ came to this earth through Calvary's cross, the serpent's head was crushed and Christ was Lord indeed, that you and I have the keys of death, hell, and the grave, that we have the authority of his word, the sanctity of his blood, the mercy of his grace, and we have everything the promises of God hold to us, an anchor of the soul. Anybody glad Satan's a defeated foe? Can we give him praise in the house today? That's the first recorded promise. Now think about that as, as a person in this room today. That's the first promise, a promise of hope that you and I would have authority. And the last promise is in Revelation 22, verse 20. I love it because Jesus says, I'm coming soon. A word of hope for the 21st century church to look for the rapture of the church where God says, I'm coming back for my bride. I want you to know we are not appointed to suffer wrath. Those old doom and gloom jockeys that try to tell that the church is going to go through tribulations and great tribulations. I want you to know the scriptures. The Bible says, watch and pray that you may count it worthy to escape the things that are upon this earth. The rapture is imminent. The rapture is imminent. I personally believe it's coming more uh, sooner than many Christians think. I'm telling you this for a fact. The king is on his way. The king is on his way. Get ready. He's coming back with power and great glory. Don't lose hope. We're not to lose hope. Without hope, life becomes bleak. It becomes dark. It becomes a never-ending experience of pain and, and trial and drama. And we don't know what the pain of the person next to us goes through. We don't know that because behind every face, there's a story. We don't know the trials and the drama that people go through. We don't know the pain. It's like when people say, yeah, they shouldn't be doing that. But have you walked in their shoes? Have you, were you raised like they were raised? You know, I believe that 99.9% .9 of people are good people. They want to do what's right. They want to they know God. They want to do it. But the question is, are you going to extend that hope to others? To let your light shine before men so they can see your good works, so they can glorify your Father that was in heaven. Notice the progression. They've got to see your good works. Not that you're saved by works, but you're saved to do the work, to glorify your God, to give people hope. It's so important because you don't know what people go through, nor do I. That's why I always want to be a constant source of encouragement. And when I feel like I can't be encouragement, I seclude myself away. 
That's because I don't want you to see what God doesn't want to be seen in me. In other words, I'm not putting my drama on display. Hey. I'm not posting hashtags. Painful. Sad face. Pray for me. No way, man. I got to go into my closet in the private so I can come out in the public with hope. <laughs> Times in all of our lives, we had had the sad face. Well we, well, we do need to have hashtag help me. We've all been there, but we have to have hope because lost hope is the undertaker's best friend because no so many people, they no longer hope for the best. They now just hope to avoid the worst. They've been hurt. You can't live, friends, without hope. You can't. Hope brings supreme blessing. It brings happiness. If you have no hope, your life will not matter. It will start to break your heart. Your mind will snap. You'll stagger through life blinded by the blessings that God has given to you if you'll just reach out and receive it, walking down a road that leads only to nowhere because joy has left you, because you've let the Prince of Peace leave, because you will not receive his divine hope. Many people today are desperately searching for it. I want you to hear the message from the Word of God today. There's hope for a bright tomorrow. There's hope that is lasting, that will never go away. Dreams still come true. There's hope guaranteed by the promises of the Word of God. I don't hope I'm saved. I know I'm saved. I'm not hoping I'm healed. I know I can be healed. I don't hope Jesus is coming again. I know Jesus is coming again. I have hope that's steadfast and sure. Hope that's eternal. Hope that's alive. Hope that is not something, but hope that is someone. His name is Jesus. And the promise of the the helper, the person of the Holy Spirit who will guide me and strengthen me and encourage me and chastise me and get me on the right path so I can be filled with the right stuff. I challenge you today, get out of the ashes of despair and discouragement. Square up your shoulders, lift your head, live, love, and be happy. This is a new day. He's a God of new beginnings and there's hope for us. So think about this today. What are the benefits of hope? Do you know there are many there are so many benefits of having hope in God. But let me just give you two. Hope produces something that I think is important. It produces patience and purity. 1 John 3, 3 says, let everyone have this hope set on him. Purify himself. So in essence, God's saying, the hope that you need needs to be set upon you so I can purify you. It's last Sunday's message, so you can be broken before me and filled with the right stuff before the world. How many of you suffer from impatience? Can I see your hands? Man, I am the worst. Somebody's laughing right now on the front row because she knows how impatient I am. I live, if I'm not careful, in a state of hurry up. I mean, we're in electronical society and we are used to the microwave. But the problem is we have an agricultural God. He's into reaping and he's into sowing. And you need to realize that impatience is a fruit of the spirit when we when we have impatience that God tells us don't have. In other words, the fruit of the spirit tells us to be patient. I have trouble with that fruit of the Spirit. Anybody with me this morning? 
Uh, and uh, two of you, the rest of you are so holy. Man, you're going to be translated out of here before the service ends. God bless you. But hope gives you patience. It really does. Now, consider in the Old Testament, a man by the name of Abraham. He's 100 years old. His wife is 90 years old. Now, I don't know about you, but you don't need to have a Ph.D. in biology to know that there ain't too much happening up in the bedroom. And God spoke to the man of God, Abraham, at 100 years old and said, Abraham, that promise you're believing for, for a son, I'm going to grant it to you. There's no blue pills. He's 100 years old. So he goes into the tent. He says, honey, Sarah, cut the television off. Will of Fortune can wait. God told me this time next year we're going to have a baby. Do you know Sarah laughed? Probably to keep from crying. When you're 100 years old and your wife is 90, I don't think having a baby's number one on the hit parade for your bucket list. But God reached down and cranked up that battery of Abraham one more time. He breathed life into that dead womb of Sarah. Isn't it amazing that he breathes life into a dead womb of Sarah and he breathes life into a womb that knows not a man named Mary? Means nothing is impossible with God. Abraham hoped for one thing, that he would have a son, and it happened. Why? Because he had hope in God. How do you know that? Because the Bible declares that he had hope with God. Romans 4.18 says, Abraham who against hope. What does that mean? That means everything in the natural that said this thing is not going to happen. It's not going to be a reality. Said there's no way you're going to have a promised child. There's nothing that's going to be remotely uh, responsing to that promise. Abraham who against hope believed in hope that he might be the father of many nations. Why? Because you and I will never rise higher than the hope that's in our hearts. See, some of you this morning, you think there's no hope for what you're going through. You think there's no hope for what you're battling and what your family's battling. But I want you to understand there's no such thing of not having a chance if you are a believer. There's no such thing of not having a chance if you are a believer. Where there's life, there's hope. Where there's life, there's God. There's the Word of God. There is hope. There's no way that God can bring out two million Hebrew slaves out of 400 years of bondage, out of Pharaoh's grip. No way God can bring them out in a day. No such way a thing like that could happen. But it happened. There's no way that bread would drop every single morning from heaven for 40 years to feed them. No way such a thing would happen, but it happened. There's no way that a fire by day would cool them, a, 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 a cloud by day would cool them, and a fire by night would warm them. There's no way such a thing would happen, but it happened. There's no way that their clothes wouldn't wear out, nor one sick or feeble among them for 40 years. No way such a thing would happen, but it would happen. There's no way that they would get it to a land flowing with milk and honey, that land would be the land of Israel, and the eternal capital of the city of David would be Jerusalem that now celebrates its 70th year where the nation could be born in a day. There's no such way such a thing could happen, but friends, it happened. Next year, we're going to get on a plane and go to Israel. I'm telling you, if you can find a Bible verse where God has promised it in his word, you can hook your life to that as an anchor to your soul to go past the veil into the promises of God. 
See, there's no way some of you think I can get out of debt, but God is a provider. God is a provider. There's no such thing of not having a chance if you're a believer. Some of you think there's no way that I can get my wayward child back or get back on track for my addiction. There's no way that I can get back on track with a job that I'm believing for. But I want you to know if you find a Bible verse, you got to write it down. You got to read it before you put it before you get it in your spirit, declare it, proclaim it until it becomes a reality. Hold on to that hope. Hope produces patience, but it also purifies us. Let everyone have this hope set on him. Purify himself. In the old days, when they began to refine the gold, what happens is an amazing thing if you've ever seen it in pub, in, in with your own eyes. When gold is refined, the smelter is the name of the man who does the refining. His name is, he's called a smelter. And the amazing thing happens if you've ever seen this happen. They take the gold and the smelter puts the gold in this blazing inferno of heat. And as the cold under the extreme temperature of heat, it starts to bubble. It starts to boil. And all the impurities of the gold start rising to the top because of the extreme heat. And with a very fine screen, the smelter, he takes the top of that gold off so it'd be absolutely pure. He puts it back in the fire again and again and again. He brings it out. He skims it off until the gold is absolutely pure. A man watching this process asked the smelter one day, sir, how long will you keep that gold in that fire? And the smelter answered and said, I will keep the gold in the fire long enough until I take the gold out and I see my reflection in that gold. How long will Jesus keep you in the fire of life, in the fire of your adversity? I can tell you, as long as he's pulling you out of that fire and the reflection he's seeing is not the reflection of Christ, until he pulls you out and he sees his reflection in that fire, in that gold, then you and I become like Jesus. That's the purification factor. It doesn't come except through challenges. It doesn't come except through adversity. It doesn't come except you go through some stuff. I'm sorry to tell you, there's no other way of getting purified than going through something. And when you go through it, you can whine about it or you can shine for the glory of God. And you'll come on the other side refined, stronger, pure, foundation set because you've chosen to put your hope in the living God. Hallelujah. You received that word today?